You know, I think there's a reason that the writer to the Hebrews says, do not neglect the meeting together of God's people. And he says some are in the habit of doing that, but he says that we are to encourage one another more and more as we see the return of Christ, the day of Jesus approaching. And to me, there is a glory of meeting together, not only in our formal worship, but just in doing life together. Uh, I know the elders are helping me out partly because of my hernia and whatnot, but it's also, to me, a beautiful thing the way our church is governed. Not only the fact that we feel it's the biblical thing to do to govern by elders, but it's a beautiful thing to know that, counting myself, six of our eight elders, and Shane and Gabe, you'll get your turn. Shane's just getting a week off, and Gabe, we're letting you get back to health. But if you think about it, six of our eight elders were involved in the worship, and it shows that worship is not just... When we come and we come to worship and to church, it's not an individualistic thing, it's a communal thing. It is a body happening. We're here as the family of God to lift up the name of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And that really is a wonderful thing, the way our God has ordained doing life and being the body of Christ. So I'm thankful, and to me, it's, I rejoice that we can be a part of worship. And I thank you, I'll say this personally before we dive into our text this morning, for your prayers for me, just to let you know where I'm at and what's going on. I saw the doctor this past week. Things are good, no emergencies or anything, nothing to worry about, as is with insurance and things like that. I'm being sent to another doctor. I see him this week, so there's nothing on the schedule, so we're just kind of continuing. But I really am doing pretty well, and I'm grateful for that. And I'm just grateful to see God working the way he's working. That, to me, is exciting. And so if you have Bibles, turn our new sermon series. We're branching out here in 2016. And uh, I need prayers for this, too. I was realizing that in 25 years of doing ministry, I've never done a comprehensive expositional series on the book of Proverbs. Welcome to the laboratory, my guinea pigs. <laughs> so, you know, wanting to do the whole counsel of God, we spent, I, you know, I look over old sermons I've done. We did a couple years on Acts, a couple years on John. We did Genesis. We did a couple years on Ephesians. Now it's time. Sit back, enjoy, and be ready for a little wisdom literature. So if you have Bibles, I would invite you to turn to Proverbs chapter 1. I'm going to read this morning. This morning we're doing a brief introduction and overview. I say brief, and I say that a little tongue-in-cheek. I don't know that anything I do is brief, but we are introducing it. Uh, chapter 1, verses 1 through 7. So let's hear the word of God. The Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel, to know wisdom and instruction, to understand words of insight, to receive instruction in wise dealing, in righteousness, justice, and equity, to give prudence to the simple, knowledge and discretion to the youth, let the wise hear and increase in learning, and the one who understands obtain guidance, to understand a proverb and a saying, the words of the wise and their riddles. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. Let's pray. Lord, you have called us into your presence to worship you. We have confessed our sins and received your mercy and forgiveness. We've sung your praises, been brought to the throne of grace, laying our petitions and our hearts before you. And now as we hear your word, we pray that your word would not fall upon deaf ears, 
either from the listeners or the messenger, that we would all be worshipers together, adoring our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. For we do not preach ourselves, but Christ as Lord. And we pray that Jesus, through your spirit, you would be our teacher, paraclete, counselor, and lead us into all the truth which alone sets us free. So we ask, as we've read your word, that your spirit would now bless and empower the ministry of your word. In Jesus' name, amen. I want to share with you a story. I was living in Oklahoma at the time. I was working as the associate pastor of Heritage Church. You all know one of our missionaries now is Chuck Garriott. Chuck works for ministry to the state with M&A. He was the senior pastor at the time. Chuck and I were working in Oklahoma City, and there was a church that was recruiting me that wanted me very much to come and to be their lead pastor. They were revitalizing and replanting and done that, and Chuck and the session at Heritage had recently sent Evie and I out to our denomination's assessment center where we were trained and passed and did all of that. And this church was very interested in us doing that. And of course, I was very upfront with Chuck and told him about all of this and all this. And Evie and I had always decided from day one of our marriage that if one of us wasn't called somewhere, neither of us were called. You don't even consider it. That it had to be both of us. When we came to Florida, it was always both of us. It was very easily both of us. Well, this church, and no offense if you're from California, but this church was from California, and Evie said right off the bat, no way. Not considering, not going, not interested, cost of living, uh, smaller church, all of this kind of stuff she didn't have. But they were persistent. They kept calling. They kept saying, and then they dangled this carrot out in front of me. You all know how I love golf and love to play golf. Well, the head of this search committee comes and he says, oh, by the way, Jeff, I happen to be personal friends with Johnny Miller, who, if you don't know, was a former professional golfer. And he says, he can get us on for free at Pebble Beach. I start combing the scriptures. I'm free in Christ. Oh, let your yes be yes and your no, no. Love my neighbor. This is Johnny Miller's my neighbor, and he needs the Lord. Evangelistic. Love your wife as Christ loved the church. Now, what are the rules for dealing with a situation like this? Are, is everything black and white? Yes, you listen to the scriptures. You're under its authority. You listen completely. But what did I need to navigate through this particular situation? What did I need to have the skill required to live out my calling as a child of God, ambassador for Christ, representative of the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ? In a word, I needed wisdom. Yes, knowledge, but knowledge was not enough. Jonathan Edwards describes the difference between knowledge and wisdom as he says knowledge is the doorway to enter into the house. And obviously, if you don't go through the doorway, you don't get into the house. So we're not talking about knowledge being just important. It's absolutely essential. You've got to go in. But if you stand in the doorway and you're in the archway and you're looking up, isn't it beautiful? What a wonderful archway. You've never entered the house of wisdom the house of skill in practical living, the house of beautifying the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ 
by your character and personality and words and calling. Think about it another way. Think about the world we live in today. We live in a world that is what is called pluralistic, a society where there's not just one way of looking at the world, defining morality, defining right and wrong. So people are always fighting about what's right, what's wrong, what's good, what's bad. They can't even decide. We don't even know. Our world today doesn't even say if there's a right and a wrong. And yet we're called to live as ambassadors for Christ, as, as Rick prayed, rightly prayed, light in the darkness in this world. And pluralism is governed and protected by our U.S. Constitution because a pluralistic society is guaranteed by our First Amendment. How do we represent Christ? How do we be the covenant people of God through whom the world finds its salvation? God saves through the instrumentality of the church. So how do we be the covenant people of God in a society where there is absolutely no consensus about what is right and wrong? Wisdom. Or lastly, and what am I trying to do here? I'm whetting your appetite of your need for wisdom. I'm trying to get you the thesis of this sermon series is very simple because it's the thesis of the book of Proverbs. Go at all costs and acquire, attain, and get wisdom. There's your thesis. Don't be bored for the next several months as I repeat that over and over again. But that's where this is going. But let me just try to bring it home to some other examples. Let's say you're a parent, for instance. How do you determine whether to homeschool, send your child to private school, send your child to public school? Is there proof text you can go to that says, thou shalt send every child to the private Montessori school? Does that exist somewhere? I haven't found it. Again, parents, your children are getting older. How do you guide them, lead them, nurture them, disciple them, whether to date or court? Again, is there a pre... Did I miss that in Deuteronomy somewhere? How do you choose a career? How do you choose whom to marry? How do you choose whether to get married? Seems to me, reading the scriptures, Paul, he held out singleness as a pretty viable option and viable calling and worthwhile calling. And how do you decide upon a career? In relationships, how do you know when to confront, when to hold back, how to confront, how hard to confront, how much and how long to... Is there a sign that says, wait one week, wait 10 days, wait 12 days and four hours? What is it we need? We need wisdom. Tim Keller puts it very simply. He says, you're going to make an absolute muck of your life if you don't find and grow in wisdom. Getting wisdom is the purpose of the book of Proverbs. It's stated right there in verse 2 to know wisdom and instruction, to understand words of insight, to receive instruction and wise dealing in righteousness, justice, and equity. The thesis for this sermon and sermon series is Christian, get wisdom. When we get to chapter 9, chapter 9 is Lady Wisdom calling out in the streets, saying, wisdom has built her house. She has hewn her seven pillars. Whoever is simple, let him turn in there. To him who lacks sense, she says, come, eat of my bread and drink of the wine I have mixed. Leave your simple ways and live and walk in the way of insight. We want to introduce this topic of wisdom and introduce the book of Proverbs. We're going to look at it under three headings this morning. We're going to look at it under the heading of the necessity of wisdom, look at a little historical and cultural context. 
We're going to look at the definition of wisdom. Just lay out a broad stroke, broad brush of what wisdom is. And then look at verse 7 particularly that gives us the foundation of the wisdom, foundation of wisdom. What it means to fear the Lord, a major, major topic in this. And something that I and many others believe is far too neglected in the church today. How deep do we go in our fear of Yahweh, the I am, the Lord? Verse 1 begins, the necessity of wisdom. The Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel. Okay, let's give a little historical context here. Solomon was the son of David, king of Israel from approximately 970 to 930 B.C. And he's the major author of Proverbs. Not the only author. You get to chapter 30 and we're introduced to this man by the name of Agur who gave us these chapter 30 and words of wisdom. Then you had chapter 31, King Lemuel, who gave a wonderful oracle that his mother taught him and given. You also have in chapter 25 more proverbs of Solomon that were collected later on by King Hezekiah, who ruled he was the king from 715 to 686 BC, and he apparently gleaned and learned from and collect, had people in his kind of royal court collecting a lot of the proverbs of Solomon and laying them out. But Solomon is considered the major author of the book. And for example, when we turn back to the book of Kings, 1 Kings 4 gives us a little bit of the prolific career of Solomon. Did you realize that he spoke 3,000 proverbs? I'll never apologize for a long sermon series again. And 1,005 songs. Where's Carl? Where's Carl sitting? Choir's not done yet. They only gave us one song, 1,004 to go. Okay, that was Solomon's prolific career. And Solomon is a tremendous case study. Because let me read for you a little bit out of 1 Kings chapter 3. And I want you to enter into the humility of this man, the son of David, who was named ruler by the sovereignty of God, ruler of Israel. In 1 Kings 3, we read at Gibeon, the Lord appeared to Solomon in a dream. And God said, ask what I shall give you. That's quite a dream. <laughs> ask what I shall give you. And Solomon said, You've shown great and steadfast love to your servant David, my father, because he walked before you in faithfulness and righteousness and in uprightness of heart towards you. And you have kept for him this great and steadfast love and have given him a son to sit on his throne this day. And now, O Lord my God, you have made your servant king in place of David, my father. Although I am but a little child, I do not know how to go out or come in. And your servant is in the midst of your people whom you have chosen, a great people, too many to be numbered, or counted for multitude. Give your servant, therefore, an understanding mind to govern your people, that I may discern between good and evil. For who is able to govern this, your great people? It pleased the Lord that Solomon had asked this. And God said to him, because you have asked this, and have not asked for yourself long life, or riches, or the life of your enemies, but have asked for yourself understanding to discern what is right. Behold, I give you a wise and discerning mind so that none like you has been before you and none like you shall arise after you. Look at this. This is absolutely breathtaking. Solomon could have had anything. God opened the door to him. Ask whatever you wish. And look at the humility of Solomon. He says, I'm but a little child. I don't know my going in or coming out. And you have called me to lead a people. I'm not capable. I don't have what it takes. 
I don't have the understanding. I don't have the discernment to lead the covenant people of God. So out of all the things, would you give me a wise and understanding and discerning insight to live out my calling in this world as king? If Solomon needed wisdom, do you dare think you could parent your child without it? Do you dare think you could be the pastor or an elder of a church? Do you dare think you could have a conversation with your husband and wife? Do you dare think that you could invite a neighbor, do anything without divine wisdom? Look at the humility of Solomon. And yet this also begs the question, because when we study Solomon's life, we have to ask the question, if Solomon was so wise, why did he die such a fool? Because the book of Kings shows Solomon not ending his life well. And the answer is given in the Proverbs itself. The Proverbs itself says, cease to hear instruction, my son. In other words, stop learning, stop growing, stop taking in this knowledge and insight, and you will stray from the words of knowledge. Proverbs 19, 27. And I love how Bruce Waltke put it. He says, spiritual successes today are no guarantee of piety and morality tomorrow. Disciples must attend continually to their spiritual lives. The Proverbs, Proverbs 4.23, an overview. I'm whetting your appetite here for the whole book. Says, guard your hearts above all else, for it determines the course of your life. So in other words, God cares much more about your knowledge. Knowledge is the doorway, essential. He cares much more about your morality, much more than just your behavior. He cares about the entire scope and condition and spiritual condition of your life. I titled this series, Wisdom in Human Flourishing, because the only way to flourish as a human being, human flourishing does not mean humanism, not even close. Humanism is life without God. Human flourishing is life as it was meant to be in relationship to God, holistic relationship to God. We're going to sing in our closing hymn, Trust and Obey, the only way to be happy. And I'll just say the only way to be joyful, to have fullness of life. What did Jesus say in John 10? The thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. I have come to give you life. To go through the door of knowledge and enter into the wide world birth of the house of the fullness of life. And I've come to give it to you more abundantly. God intimately cares about the entire course of your life. Another commentator, Ray Ortland, put it this way. He says, everyone is on a path. Everyone is going somewhere. When we feel stuck, even when we feel trapped, the truth is we're still in motion. Life is a journey, and the end of it all is not just a place, but also a condition. We are becoming the end of our journey, wise or foolish, and every moment takes us closer there. Every moment you are becoming more wise or more foolish, which is it? That's our first point. Do you see your need for wisdom? Now let's look at some broad strokes at how wisdom plays out and what wisdom is. I'm indebted to various commentators for the st structure of the book of Proverbs, and here's how we'll lay it out over the next several months. I've just said that the goal of the book, the central concern of the book, is getting and acquiring wisdom. And the way Proverbs is structured is it's laid out as an anthology. It's a collection of writings, primarily authored by Solomon, but as we saw, has many other authors as well. And here's your memory verse. If you want a memory verse, 
I'm waiting to see if I get any looks or, or snickers from that. See this, the pastor is giving you homework. A memory verse, verse 7 of chapter 1 is the motto for the book of Proverbs. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. You recognize what that is? The beginning of it? That means the 2 plus 2 equals 4 is the fear of the Lord. You've not moved on to your multiplication tables, let alone geometry, let alone, and some of you are going, I don't want to take algebra again. Well, let's get to 2 plus 2 equals 4. The fear of the Lord is the 2 plus 2 equals 4 of walking with God. It is the foundation. And chapters 1 through 9, so as I preach this, I'm going to look at chapters 1 through 9, passage by passage. That's what we're going to look at. Are basically a series of poems where Solomon is selling wisdom. He's motivating us, get wisdom. He's basically saying it comes first and foremost from the home, parents inculcating and teaching and nurturing their children, and he's wanting us to apply ourselves to the acquisition of wisdom. So in other words, chapters 1 through 9 is the basis for the rest of the book. And then actually the first actual proverb begins at chapter 10, verse 1. Because in chapter 10, verse 1, it begins with the Proverbs of Solomon. And you notice the style changes at chapter 10, verse 1. Because instead of these lengthy poems, you have each verse being now its own tiny unit. And from chapter 10, verse 1 to chapter 22, verse 16, they all come from Solomon himself. Then we read in chapter 22, verse 17, it says, Incline your ear and hear the words of the wise. Apply your heart to my knowledge. And the next section, which goes from 22.17 to 24.22, is the next collection known as the 30 sayings of the wise. These collections of saying. And then in 24.23, the next collection begins. These are also sayings of the wise. That goes to the end of the chapter. Then you have in chapter 25, these Proverbs of Solomon, the King Hezekiah wrote down. To where finally you have the end of the book with chapter 30, the words of Agur, the son of Jacob, and he gives his oracle, and then chapter 31, the oracle of King Lemuel, an oracle taught to him by his mother that he's passing on for the covenant people of God. So we'll look at kind of verse by verse, passage by passage, chapters 1 through 9, and then when we hit chapter 10 and begin looking at it, we're going to look at various topics, topics like humility and friendship, our words and our tongue. We're about to become a very quiet, shy congregation which actually I hope not. I hope we listen to the Proverbs and our words become a fountain of life. That's the vision that the Proverbs puts forward to us. We're going to look at issues like family and parenting, friendship and marriage, humility, and dealing with things like money, some tough topics. Proverbs is all about practical wisdom. In brief, it's about practical skill in living. This is very much an application-oriented sermon series. And when describing what wisdom is, I love the illustration Tim Keller uses for describing what wisdom is. He talks about, remember the detective Sherlock Holmes? His faithful compadre Watson. Talks about Sherlock Holmes entering into a room, and the room is a disheveled mess. Shane and I would hate the room. It's a disorder. He's agreeing with that part of the story. We'd walk in, we'd see the disordered mess, and you and I would walk into the room and say, what a mess. But Holmes says, oh, look at all these clues. We see just a blur. He's going, he sees distinctions. He says, look at that. That's that long. And look at this. That's that long. Did you see that? And suddenly he knows what's going on, and he's piecing all of these segments and fragments of reality together. 
And Dr. Keller says that's wisdom. He says wisdom is knowing how things really happen in the world, how things really work, knowing how things really are, and then not only knowing how things really work and how they really are, but knowing what to do about it. So basing it off a book by a theologian by the name of Gerhard von Rod, who wrote a book called Wisdom in Israel, he says the definition of wisdom according to Proverbs is becoming competent with regard to the realities of life, knowing how things really happen, knowing how things really are, and knowing what to do about it. It's able to make the distinctions between the simple and the complex. Tell the facts, know how the facts piece together. It's not only knowing theology, but it's knowing how to think theologically. It's not only knowing what to think, it's knowing how to think. Knowledge may give you what to think, and I'm going to say it again, it's absolutely essential. Wisdom teaches you how to think. The complex realities of life, how things happen, how they piece together, how they work, and how to apply it. What to do about it. And how, why is this so important? Do the Proverbs, for instance, just exist as a bunch of disjointed sayings, aphorisms, truths? Or are they overall, how do they fit into the overall part of the story of God and God's missionary purpose in the world? In other words, how do we read Proverbs in light of the overall unity of the gospel story? Not only what wisdom is, but why is it so important? Let's remember, we said who wrote Proverbs. We're attributing most of these to Solomon, but who did he write them to? He wrote them to the covenant people of God. The ambassadors for God in the Old Testament, the people who are called to be a light to the nations. So for example, let me give you this biblical illustration, Psalms 111 and 112, also wisdom literature. Psalm 111 is a psalm of praise celebrating God's wonderful works, especially his work of redemption and his redemptive purpose. Psalm 111 verse 9 says that God sent redemption to his people. He has commanded his covenant forever. Holy and awesome is his name. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. All those who practice it have a good understanding. His praise endures forever. And then Psalm 112 immediately follows up as a wisdom psalm looking very much like Proverbs set to music. And the wisdom described in Psalm 112 and in the Proverbs guides the particular Israelite and for us, the particular New Testament believer in our priorities, our choices, and enables us to contribute to the whole body of God's people. It leads covenant members toward the ideal of conformity to the likeness and image of God. Do you know that's what God is doing in you right now? He is making you, he is conforming your talents, personality, gifts, everything that he has sovereignly ordained for you to bring to the table. He's working it and conforming it to the image and the likeness of himself. And the Proverbs shows us exactly the type of life that is conformed to the image of God, a light to the nation. He wants our lives to carry something of a taste of Eden, where the glory of God was initially made manifest. And we are to give, what was the original vocation, the original calling of the people of God? When God called Abraham, he said, through you all nations will be blessed. I am bringing salvation to the world. How am I doing it? I'm doing it through you. 
And that's where you are to be. That's not just your verbal witness. That's your life. That's your holiness. You are to be attractive, beautiful, contagious holiness. And Proverbs shows us exactly what a contagious, just like so many of us are catching colds right now by our contagion, Proverbs teaches us to catch holiness and be a light to the nations. Proverbs gives us the particulars. And where does it begin? It begins with the foundation. The foundation of the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Real interesting there, that word in verse 7, Lord, is not the generic name for God, Elohim, but it's the personal covenantal name for God, Yahweh. The fear of, that's described, for example, when God reveals himself to Moses in the burning bush in Exodus chapter 3. And Moses says, what is your name? Who are you? I don't want to know about you. I want to know you. And God reveals himself to him as Yahweh. I am. The fear of Yahweh, the fear of I am, is the beginning of knowledge and wisdom. Fools despise. Fools don't always despise generic, philosophical, abstract God. Fools despise Jesus Christ, the manifestation, the fulfillment of Yahweh. And it's interesting, where is wisdom to be found? The Old Testament prophesied of the Messiah. In Isaiah 11, the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom and of understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. Isaiah chapter 9, when it said to us, a child is born, a son is given, and he will be called wonderful counselor, the sage of sages, everlasting father, mighty God, prince of peace. When you get to the New Testament, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 1, verse 30, he says, he is the source of your life in Christ Jesus, whom God made our wisdom and our righteousness, our sanctification and redemption. And again, in Colossians chapter 2, speaking of Christ, he says, the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Where is the fear of the Lord to be found? What is it and where is it to be found? In a nutshell, the fear of the Lord is humility. And where is it to be found? In the gospel of Jesus Christ. Don't you dare think Proverbs isn't a gospel book. The Proverbs is going to lead us each and every week to the foot of the cross. Because where is humility as the foundation of the fear of the Lord leading us to the gospel? Where is it to be found? at the foot of the cross. In Psalm 130, we read, if you, O Lord, should mark iniquities. Imagine if Vic was still up here praying the prayer of confession. You know, it's kind of like the Martin Luther, you know, I'll list all of my sins and just keep listing them. The psalmist says, if you, O Lord, should mark all of our iniquities. You recognize not a second goes by that we're not sinning. Right now, we're all loving God to our fullest and we're still in sin right this minute by our natural flesh. If the Lord should mark iniquities, O oh Lord, who could stand? But the psalmist goes on, he says, but with you, there is forgiveness. Therefore, you are feared. The fear of the Lord is the beginning. The two plus two equals four of wisdom. And what is it that leads us to the fear of the Lord? It's humility and forgiveness. There's a challenge to this. 
See, if the only way we're going to learn humility and the fear of the Lord is the foot of the cross, where do we get this? We have a problem. Ray Ortland, again, very helpfully points out that he says, the biggest challenge in our lives is not external to us. It's not our surroundings. It's not the people we live with. It's not our circumstances. It's internal to ourselves. We bring a precondition into our counseling sessions with Jesus. Jesus is the wonderful counselor who gives us, who is for us wisdom, and he's counseling us. And we bring this precondition. We have a pre-existing condition when we come before the great physician of the soul, Dr. Jesus. And the book of Proverbs uses a certain Hebrew word to describe us as we start out, and it's the word peta. Shows up in our English Bibles as simple, naive, ignorant. How many of us like being called simple, naive? And I have good news for you today. You're simple. You're naive. You're ignorant. Cheer up. He says we don't like being told that, but he says we can put away our feeling of insult and be glad because the Bible does not idealize us. And the word peta is related to a Hebrew word that means to open. In other words, a peta, a simple, ignorant, naive one, keeps his options open. He never commits. Ah, you want to come over tonight? No, I'm a peta. I may go there. I may go here. A peta dates somebody, and as somebody's thinking about getting married, ah, not yet. Let's take it slow. That may be wisdom. It may not, but it may be a peta. You never know. But it gets him into trouble. It's dangerous. Proverbs 22.3 says, The prudent sees danger and hides himself, but the peta, the simple, go on and suffer for it. And Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones wrote, You will never make yourself feel that you're a sinner because there's an inward mechanism in us as a result of sin that will always be defending you against every accusation. We are all on very good terms with ourselves, and we can always put up a good case for ourselves. Even if we try to make ourselves feel that we are sinners, we'll never do it. There's only one way to know that we are sinners, and that is to have some dim, glimmering conception of God. If you, O Lord, should mark iniquities, friends, the fear of the Lord begins with a conception of the holiness and the glory of God. What happened to Isaiah? when he walked into the temple and was confronted with the glory of God. The catastrophic scene of smoke arising from the temple, he couldn't even hear, he couldn't even. The glory of God led him to do what? To pronounce a curse on himself. Woe is me. Not I'm flawed, I need to go see a therapist. No, I'm undone, I'm unraveling, I'm at the end of myself. I can't figure, not only can I not figure everything out, I can't figure anything out. I have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. Friends, if you are not becoming at the end of yourself, unraveling, becoming undone, you are not seeing God. You might be dancing around him. You might be in the doorway of knowledge. You are not being confronted with the glory and the majesty and the dominion of God. Because the glory of God, the fear of the Lord, will always lead to a confrontation with your unraveling, coming apart at the seams. Woe is me. Isaiah pronounced death upon himself. He didn't just say, I fall short of the glory of God. He came undone. And God is attracted to that. With you, there is forgiveness. What does God do? He immediately swoops in, sending the seraphs. 
with tongues from the altar, he takes the coal from the fire of sacrifice, touches it to the lips of Isaiah and says, see, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is forgiven and your sins are atoned for. Therefore, there is forgiveness with the Lord that you may be feared. The only thing that leads to the fear of the Lord is the gospel of Jesus Christ, knowing your forgiveness. And the only thing that leads to knowing your forgiveness is knowing the weight of your sin. So friends, do you want to grow in wisdom? What is the key? The gospel. Confront yourself with the glory of God to become unraveled, unglued at the end of yourself, moment by moment, day by day, that you may know his forgiveness, that he may be feared, that you may grow, that you would humble yourself and grow in all of the particulars so that we live, we listen to Lady Wisdom calling out in the, in the streets saying, who will come and hear my voice and leave their simple ways and grow in knowing the realities of life, knowing what they are, knowing how they work, how they piece together, knowing what to do about it. The gospel moving and infiltrating your heart leads to the gospel in life, which will lead to the gospel in wisdom. Do you see your need for it? Do you see what it is? And do you see its foundation? Let's pray. Father, if you were to keep a record of all the ways that we are peta, simple, naive, ignorant, which of us could stand? But with you, the one in whom all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge are found, the one on whom the spirit of wisdom and understanding rests, the one who is called a wonderful counselor, the one who went to the cross for our foolish, simple, ignorant ways, with you there is forgiveness. Oh, that we would fear you, adore you, wonder at you, and that we would humble ourselves, learn the fear of the Lord, and grow in wisdom. In Jesus' name, amen.